Welcome to the SDG Talks podcast, where we discuss all things around the sustainable development goals and the roadmap to 2030. We are your co-hosts, James and Kevin, here to take you along the SDG ride. We hope you enjoy today's SDG Talks podcast. All kinds of citizens, collectives need to be involved, but also, and that is about leadership, bottom up, but we also need leadership top down to create that enabling environment, to create the conditions for those people who have to do most of the work, and that's us normal citizens. SDG Talkers, welcome back. Today, you're gonna hear from Simone Filippini, who is the president of Leadership for SDGs. Simone has a fascinating background as she was once the Dutch ambassador to Northern Macedonia, and she's gonna give some really interesting discussion around transformative and system change. We'll hear about bottom-up and top-down leadership governance as it pertains to SDG 16 and how we need to be pragmatic and holistic to really get things done. Simone was a joy to talk with, and I know you're all going to get a lot of insights here. Enjoy and talk to you all soon. Simone Filippini, welcome to the SDG Talks podcast. How are you doing today? Well, thanks for having me, and I'm doing good. Today is a great day in the Netherlands because it's, uh, we call it uh, to celebrate democracy. We have our parliamentary elections today. So early this morning, I went out to vote. That is fantastic. I love to, to celebrate democracy alongside you. And the Netherlands is actually one of my favorite countries in the world. I have often find myself thinking, not all things, but most good things in the world are originate in the Netherlands and are Dutch, Dutch made, especially from the world that I live in, the, the water innovations. And a lot of that was, some of it was out of necessity considering the Netherlands is under sea level or lots of it and through time had to, to innovate to stay above water. Absolutely, absolutely. To literally, to keep our heads above the water, we had to innovate and also, which is relevant for our conversation today, I think, to work together with one another to get things done. As you know, if, if you are uh, located uh, as a country like the Netherlands is with like two thirds below sea level, then if you don't work together, you will not get nowhere in improving things. And that all innovations come from the Netherlands is really flattering, but I, <laughs> yeah. It's, That's a bit too much, probably. Yeah, no, it's a spark for many things. And, and, I, and you, you segued it well nicely of working together to get stuff done. That seems to be a cornerstone of you and your, your LinkedIn bio and some of your keywords around vision and empathy and teamwork, bringing people together. Give me a, a little snapshot into your history and background. And then I, then I want to transition to the work you do today with leadership for SDGs. Okay, yeah. Well, maybe it all originated in, in the family I come from because I'm from a family with eight kids. And if you don't <laughs> don't compromise in a family with eight kids and with my Italian DNA, which is in one way or another still there, so that's temperament, then, you know, you get constant clashes. We have a lot of clashes, but we also work them out. And I, I think, no, but getting serious, I think that is, uh, it's really important and Increasingly so, I saw during my life and my career that unless we work together as, uh, as nations, as people, as communities, we won't be able to build a more peaceful, inclusive, socioeconomic 
environment for everybody to flourish. And I started, uh, basically, I, I, I studied Russian language and literature and Italian, and then I, I got into diplomacy. I worked in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of the Netherlands for 25 years, doing all kinds of different things. I'm a, what they call in the Netherlands generalist, generalist diplomat. So I saw basically all parts of the ministry, served in Jakarta, Indonesia, in Macedonia as an ambassador, now it's called North Macedonia, and as a consul general in Miami for the southeastern part of the US. Then I became the CEO of Cordate, which is one of the largest humanitarian development organizations in the Netherlands. After that, uh, the executive director of the Netherlands Institute for Multi-Party Democracy, working in about 24 countries to support people to become more, to develop skills uh, uh, in order to basically practice democracy in practice, which is not an easy thing to do in the right way, and especially working together with different parties, compromise, uh, interact with citizens and what have you. And then I set up something myself, and um, I'm working on that, and that uh, I, I call that leadership for SDGs. So, and, and I'm always doing all kinds of voluntary stuff, so either in political circles or as the president of the United Nations Association for the Netherlands, in advisory boards, supervisory boards, I, I always feel that it's important to contribute. And I, I, I'm interested in a lot of different issues, so that, that is really great to, to have that uh, additional experience, but also to give my experience away uh, for others to flourish. That's fantastic. And I can share a lot of similarities there. I'm actually the, the middle of seven children, number oh, four. Okay. And it's, it's a lot of aspects of compromise and, and helping out and, and doing things for others, whether even at times when maybe you don't want to, but you just do it because it's the right thing to do. And fortunately, my mother and father raised me well to just focus on teamwork, collaboration. And it's a heck of a lot easier to do it as a team as opposed to just doing it all on your own shoulders. Absolutely. Yeah. Great to hear. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic. So you are incredibly selfless individual and I appreciate your, your insights throughout your, your past experiences to get you where you are today to where you mentioned leadership for SDGs. And within that context, I'd love to know, many of the people listening here know what the SDGs are, but from your perspective, how do you look at the SDGs? You know, what, when you see those beautiful colors and, and, and sometimes maybe, I love the SDGs, but maybe sometimes they're almost thrown around like the, a greenwash term of, you know, we, we met this, this one fast with SDGs and, and, and I don't want to, you know, take away from anyone's efforts, but when you think about the SDGs and look at them, what do they mean to you and, and how do you work to incorporate that within your daily life? Well, I think that the world community within the UN, so the countries who come together in the UN, 193 of them, they need something to come together on. And I think that at this moment, it is the is Agenda 2030 and the Sustainable Development Goals. You know, with the aim to build a durable peace and sustainable and inclusive social economic development and opportunities for all with the ultimate goal of leaving no one behind well how beautiful is that right 
I think that the Sustainable Development Goals, short, the, the SDGs, are a really, really important agenda. And for me, they represent all the issues that governments, but also the international community, like transborder, have to achieve to see to it that no one will be left behind. It's about poverty. It's about fighting inequalities in the world, which are rampant. It's about treating everybody with respect. It's about strong institutions that can back up people and regulations that people need to build up successful businesses, to build up, to explore the opportunities for themselves, to become their best selves, basically, to exploit their talents. It's about accessible and affordable healthcare for everybody. The same thing for education. It's about a clean environment, climate protection, responsible business, clean water for everybody. It's protecting our oceans, protecting our environment. So it's a really, really important agenda. Basically has 16 concrete goals and one, number 17, last but certainly not least, is about cooperation. We need to work together to get done. And that's both at national level, but also internationally. With the global challenges of today, some people might hate it because they think we can solve all those challenges on our own, but we can't. We need cooperation between countries. We need global agreements to solve, for example, the climate crisis, which is being caused by a few large countries, basically, yeah, the, the, the grunt of it, the brunt of it. But the, the poorest countries in this world, they are affected most and can't defend themselves against those types of issues that are being caused by others. So, so we really need to work together. It also goes for conflict, for arms trade, for all the issues that are very, very negatively affecting the lives of millions and millions of people. Well said. And, I, and one thing you said that really struck a chord with me is that phrase of leaving no one behind. It sounds great. And I couldn't agree more that we, I've been studying a lot. Actually, I got the book here next to me, Donut Economics, and it explores the whole, it actually, Kate Raworth, I believe, I, I think she might be Dutch, but I know a lot of the work, they, Amsterdam has kind of adopted the Donut Economics, but it talks a lot about of, we have, a certain, within the planetary boundaries, we have a certain amount of resources and sort of rights to water and food and electricity and stuff that humans need to survive. But when we go above the actual thresholds of our, of our planetary boundaries, that's when you get ocean acidification and, and melting of the, the icebergs and things like that. So there's this kind of balance of how do we provide enough, but not too much within the confines of our finite earth. So with that, back to the phrase of leaving no one behind, and to your organization, you know, leaving no one behind, how? When you're doing this with your work and your leadership for SDGs, what are some examples and what are you doing to help empower others to take action, real action, not just, hey, let's, let's talk about it, but action that we can maybe, we can all learn from and replicate? Yeah, well, I think that to achieve these sustainable development goals, we need transformative change in all kinds of sectors that is about innovations it's about becoming smarter it's about clean energy development you know all kinds of innovations in many sectors and then we have so many different parties who have to be involved eh? non-governmental organizations the private sector 
private initiatives, all kinds of citizens, collectives need to be involved, but also, and that is about leadership, bottom up. But we also need leadership top down to create that enabling environment, to create the conditions for those people who have to do most of the work, and that's us normal citizens, <laughs> with starting a responsible company that doesn't pollute the environment or, you know, all kinds of issues or more responsible food production and waste management and all these kinds of issues. But it's governments who need to contribute to that enabling environment for people to be able to do this. And what you see, I think, is that many governments, they don't do that. So in many countries, governments basically have promised in the UN context, I was there on the balcony when the, of the large room where the UN General Assembly meets when the Sustainable Development Goals were confirmed by 193 nations. And I was already thinking, so how many countries are going to achieve these? Are they going to walk the walk? It's not just about the talk, it's about basically putting the talk into practice and walk it. And that is very difficult. And I think that many leaders of countries, and they won't admit it, of course, easily, but I think they face challenges that they just cannot swallow. They are too big to eat. And who is helping them? I mean, if you wonder, if you ask yourself the question, why are CEOs and boards of companies being trained, coached and supported? And everybody thinks that's a great thing to do because you need the best leadership, right? On top of any organization. Why do we leave governments basically to themselves? There is no structured support system in the world for government ministers of, on an individual basis and governments as a team. And still they're being expected sometimes under really, really difficult circumstances with very weak institutional support to do all those things that they are being required <laughs> in achieving the SDGs. So in my perspective, it's disrespectful. And then you see that many organizations in the world are focused on self-preservation, many of the large institutions, because they want to self-preserve, right? Because they're change resistant, they're risk reverse, because they have a stake at continuing their existence. Same thing goes for the type of work they do, projects. So who is in for a project if you don't really contribute to system change? I mean, everybody is always hailing UNICEF, but I say UNICEF is doing a lot of projects doing a great job helping people, you know, on the ground. But in how far does an organization like that contribute to system change as to access to affordable, high-quality education in the countries that they work? So I am a person who believes in system change. And the only way to get that is to approach issues at the right level and in the right way. And I think that in, 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 in some way or another, basically how I look at the aid sector of today, to a certain extent, holds up the um, existing system, which is kind of neo-colonial, doing projects and continuing to do projects and never 
solving the real issues with one another. Some of the things you said really resonate and strike a chord with me, particularly as I've gotten into the nonprofit social impact space. It really blew my mind in, in learning that nonprofit does not mean no money. There's there's quite a bit of money in nonprofits, and some people who make quite a bit of money from a from a, a salary perspective. And there was one documentary that really changed my life. It was Disaster Inc. And it focused on Haiti. And it looked at a lot of these organizations that go to Haiti just to kind of use Haiti as a, let's create a charity and try and help out playground. And oftentimes you see many of these organizations and I thank anyone that's trying to help, trying to help others. I appreciate them. Having said that, sometimes the intentions are focused more on keeping their own job as opposed to solving a problem. And that's where I really have an issue with it where, because my perspective is that the point of charity or some of these projects is to not exist anymore. Ideally, we want to create self-empowerment, resilience to where I'm not needed or the organization does not need it. Granted, it's good to have checkups and some type of goals and metrics of monitoring, but one of the problems that you brought up is we're just focused on maintaining a job uh, from whoever's trying to do the project or some type of self-serving that is not actually helping those that you're actually seeking to, to, to help. Yeah, and I think that most organizations, they have the right thing. They want to do the right thing. But by their, their behavior, they also uphold a system that we need to overcome. And uh, they keep people dependent. And that is not what I think we should do. So there was this report on, I don't know whether you know the term SDG 16 plus. There is, they did basically uh, quite some organizations together. Governments are are connected to this uh, initiative. It's about the connections, the interconnections between different SDGs. And SDG 16 as a prerequisite to achieve most of the other SDGs. And then what is being mentioned in that report on SDG 16 plus, which was uh, presented to the UN member states in 2019 was that poor governance, and we're talking about poor governance a lot here, right? Is a threat to the delivery of all dimensions of the 2030 agenda. We cannot achieve our goals for people, planet, prosperity, and peace without effective, accountable, and transparent institutions. Rising inequality and high levels of social, economic, and political exclusion must also be urgently tackled. And how do we do this? By empowering governmental systems and persons in the countries concerned. And what always strikes me is that all those reports, I was at... um, a really interesting event last week on small island development states and lots about basically civil servants. But, you know, civil servants need leadership. So who's leading the civil servants of this world? And nobody touches that issue, right? That ministers need help. Governments need help. And also, at say, it, it can be national governments, but can also be subnational governments. Of course, a country like India or a country like Germany or whatever, they have a federal government. And of course, you have states within those countries, most of them, with more inhabitants than, um, than most countries in the world, eh? each of those states. So they, they really need help. There was an excellent initiative last year, uh, no, the year before last year already, of course, last year was kind of a dead year in that sense. 
2020 with the whole COVID-19 pandemic to start a global hub on the governance for the SDGs. So there was an effort, they proposed an effort to bring all those parties who are working on helping civil servants, training civil servants, uh, supporting institutions, to bring them together and to get more holistic approach per country. I, I really support that. And then I suggested to those people to also add support to the leaders of those civil servants. So basically that was agreed upon. But then you see that in one way or another, and I can't look into the hearts and minds of those people totally, that it doesn't come off the ground, which is a real pity because I think that's exactly what is needed. And so what is my favorite SDG? That is SDG 16 plus, because that those are really important ones, I think, SDG 5 about gender equality, and SG10 about fighting inequalities within and between communities, because that is deadly for any society. And we see rising inequalities in the world instead of decreasing inequality. So if we ever want to be serious about the sustainable development goals, those need to be tackled very quickly. And how is that being done? By proper governance and proper budgeting. And that is about discipline. That's about driving change in a systematic way, driving results in a systematic way. It doesn't go just like that. Inequalities are very difficult to tackle. So you need to be systemic. You need to be structured. You need to be long-term and be a, a, like, like put your teeth in it, right? You need to be a terrier and put your teeth in it because it's, it's hard stuff. That's right. I mean, these problems are, are deep-rooted. I mean, you're looking at Absolutely. hundreds and thousands of years of development over time, uh, looking at people, time, space, religion, governments that have caused us to get to where we are today. And I think that as, that lens of sense-making is, is so important. And, and you gave some good context sort of macro generally about some of the SDGs, but I know you had a lot of experience in, in North Macedonia, is there, within your framework that you just talked about with SDG 5, 10, and 16, is there any specific example of that you could give in terms of like, this was a problem and then we, we, we went out to, to solve it through a, a bottom-up or a top-down government's example with the North, North Macedonia or, or elsewhere? But I just know that you had a lot of experience there, so I wanted to see any interests or insights there. Yeah. Well... Of course, I'm not the boss of any country, which is, of course, a huge pity, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. we're not yet there. No, no, but when I served as ambassador to North Macedonia, I, for example, started an initiative to fight domestic violence because the country has gone through a lot of violence. It was nearly involved in a civil conflict. Well, it was basically a little bit involved in it in, during the Kosovo War, but there was a lot of... Um, yeah, violence left in that country. And so we started uh, that initiative with the government, with private foundations and NGOs working to, UN organizations working together to try to systematically work on reducing this issue, on informing citizens on, on what it is violence. Many people uh, living in the mountains there they were not really connected, right? So I, I think that that was quite a, a good initiative and it was demand-driven because that's, of course, also super important that you work according to the demand of the country 
involved uh, in an open conversation. And I, I think sometimes that if we look at international relations, there's a lot of beating around the bush, everybody being polite to everybody else. Well, everybody knows that realities are different. I've sat there in meeting rooms in New York and there are people doing speeches and I know that what they tell us there in that room has no link really with realities on the ground. And so why are we doing this? Why are we keeping up appearances in this way? Because if you don't acknowledge your issues, you can never solve them. And there's no shame in being vulnerable and also in not knowing how to tackle the huge challenges of today because it's very complex. All the more reason to want to learn. And how can it be that we see government leaders unwilling to learn, oppressing their people against all the promises being made, you know, abusing human rights, and one playing boss in countries, play, defining the lives of people against all the promises, solemn promises, and we will do this, but they don't. And who's holding them accountable? When you were talking about the aspects of domestic violence too, it was got me thinking where a lot of a lot of areas, sometimes people don't know what they don't know. So there is that education component to <laughs> to communicate, to try and disrupt a century old way of doing something. And you sometimes can't fault the locals on the ground because just because that's what they, they were born into some system and they have to be untaught. And I have heard this before. How do we unlearn some of these bad habits? Because often I hear, oh, that's just the way it's always been done. But sometimes it's for a self-interest. But sometimes they just people just don't know any better because that's all they've known. Yeah, but that, that's exactly the point. That requires long-term efforts, systematic approaches, and very well thought through types of, of engagement. So you can't think that if you uh, deal with an, uh, an, an environment where, uh, say, abuse of women is a normal thing to do, eh? or uh, hitting women, the many women in the world think that it's a normal thing to be hit by their husbands. You need that consequent drive by governments in cooperation, of course, with citizens' organizations and what have you, to put an end to this. So just doing some project and thinking that this will do the trick is not going to happen, of course. And I sometimes I, I also was the head of the women, Women's Rights Department in the Dutch Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and I worked a lot on sexual and reproductive health and rights issues. And um, I often said, listen, you know, I'm basically the, also part of that first generation for whom control over their own fertility is a natural thing is a given because in my mother's time it wasn't the case of course and so and then we my father showed me at a moment a certain moment catholic brochures from the early 60s it's like living in a totally different age and so you see that what the convictions at that time quickly changed in the second half of the 60s and that, for example, the introduction of the pill seems a simple thing, but that meant the end of that type of influence of, for example, in the Netherlands, the church over women's lives. And that had a huge, that resulted in a huge boost of women empowerment 
And so within one generation, we got in a total different landscape here in this country. People sometimes think that, you know, the Netherlands have been tolerant and open and progressive forever. It's not true. In the 60s, in the beginning of the 60s, the Netherlands were a conservative country, Christian country, Catholic country. So if people didn't, didn't become pregnant quickly enough, the priest came by to tell them, hey, where's the next child? That's the 60s, for God's sake. So, you know, in a very brief period of time, this changed and also because of new government policies. And till the day of today, they are being conducted. New policies, progressive policies. So, so you can change policies as a country, but it's certainly true what you say. It's, it's not going to be done uh, like from yesterday to today to tomorrow. So you, you need to dare to take a long-term view. Mm. So people, when I talk about leadership for SDGs and supporting governments, they say, yeah, but you know, governments, they have a, only a four-year perspective. So what? I mean, every person you can empower to become their best self as a, learn, as a, as a leader is important. I talked uh, to a number of former ministers and they all tell me the same thing. We would have been really grateful and would need would have needed such support and our system needs that type of support and because they were kind of lost in in sierra leone in in nigeria and other countries yep when you were talking about some of the historical maybe both progression and regression within the netherlands uh, around gender equality it got me thinking about i i've been on clubhouse a lot is with this app where you i think i don't know if we've we've met on club we saw each other on clubhouse but great app where everyone gets the opportunity to talk about these anything there's different rooms in sustainability social impact climate change entrepreneurship stuff like that and i often find that sometimes people are are just up there sort of just spewing words that they've heard and I don't really know if they believe. And, and I think that it sort of got me thinking about with, within my work and, and the, the people I work with, how can we be more pragmatic and less dogmatic? And, and you know, I know there's, you know, religion and, and believing in something is important, but the dogma of just doing something because it's this deep-rooted belief because it's all you know or it's all you think you know as opposed to taking a holistic, pragmatic lens about something and thinking about context and, and, and really thinking before you do and strategically working to get something done. What are your thoughts on that? And does that, does that, how does that play a role within how we approach future development? Well, I think that's a really good point. And what, that's why education is so important. Education in schools, but also out of school uh, education and life skills education, continuous education throughout uh, your entire life cycle. And it's important in that sense also, I feel not to exclude anyone in that thinking around informing and educating uh, citizens. I mean, it's not enough to just produce proper, objective and understandable and accessible information for the happy few, but especially those people who feel kind of excluded or maybe marginalized in society to take them really seriously, see to it that they are taking along in, 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 you know, in all kinds of processes so that you get more a feeling of togetherness and that there's also a better basis to discuss issues. If you, if you don't know about certain issues, it's very difficult to form more nuanced 
thoughts around issues. And not everybody is as privileged as some, some of us maybe, that they have been able to travel the world, that they have talk, been able to talk to very many different people in many different contexts, and as a result, have become more empathic about different perspectives. Uh, also maybe more able to digest those perspectives or put them into perspective again, right? Yeah. Um, so so that's very important. Um, yeah, we, we need to be holistic. And if you come back to those SDGs, that is a holistic agenda. And you can't separate one from the other. Of course, you can separate them if you look at indicators that are formulated and you can measure progress on certain issues. But in the end... If you have a good educational system, but your healthcare system uh, sucks, then, then you you know you you miss out of something really important. Or you have a good educational system, but there's infighting constantly uh, around your country, or you people are uh, are caught in conflict, or there is uh, there are lots of arms around, and there's a lot of societal violence, or there's racism, or you know we we. We, we have to deal with lots of different issues at the same time. And, and I think you, you started a little bit with just saying that all good comes from the Netherlands, which is, of course, nonsensical. But we're doing our best. I think we are a country, together with a number of other Northwest European countries and, and maybe countries like Canada, New Zealand, Australia, trying to leave no one behind. Of course, we struggle. And we will always have challenges in this respect, right? You you can never save everybody. But the intention in everything we do policy-wise is to see to it that nobody falls through the web. So that everybody has, that there's a support system also for those people. And you will have certain percentage in your population that won't, they, they, they won't be able to take care of themselves, right? So uh, to also help those people to respect them and to embrace them in society and to see to it that they get all opportunities possible to walk with the others as much as they can. And I really love that type of thinking. That is also about peace thinking, right? It's, it's, if you do this right, it ends up in, you end up as a society in a more peaceful manner, more inclusive, more friendly, more loving. And what is nicer than being in such an environment? Absolutely. And I think you, you, you nailed it perfectly of acting with intention. And, and of course, there's so many of these issues that exist and it's hard to put any of them in silos. And, and you know, if you solve one of them, you're ignoring the other one. Or maybe if you solve one of them, you, you solve another one. It's a challenge. But I think if from a, especially from a policy perspective, like you said, I mean, at least shooting for the stars and setting these goals and acting with intention, that is the most important thing. Unfortunately, I know that we, we maybe can't leave, maybe do provide everything that we need to every single 7.5 plus billion people in the world, but at least we could try. And I think as long as we have our best intention set moving forward, that is what I can ask for out of myself. It's what I ask for out of you. It's what I ask for out of anyone listening. And ask for out of anyone that's a, that's setting policy. Because if not, then it's just a lot of a lot of smoke and mirrors, and that is not a, a world or a future that that I aspire to build moving forward. Absolutely, and and there are people with special responsibility, and those people are called ministers. They sit in governments, and they need to perform. And if they cannot, 
they feel unable to, they need to seek help. And we have to provide support for them. Yep. And that needs to become more like an open discussion. Because if their intentions are good, but the, you know, the will is there, but the capacities are not yet there, or it's very difficult because they're in a difficult environment, why not seek and accept help? Yep. And, uh, and then that would enable them to uh, transform the intentions into results. And that is what you can expect from any government, right? That they do that, that they commit to that, and they are being held accountable to do that. Yep. So well said. So I wanted to ask you two final questions to, to close us out here, and you can answer them in, in either either manner. But within the context of everything we've talked about and in your background, what is one thing right now that you're most excited about? And on the flip side, what's something that keeps you up at night and you're terrified about? Let's start with the terrifying thing. You always have to end up with the positive, right? Yes. So the, what terrifies me is the tendency of people to go back to the trusted situation, to the, to the known situation. So everybody talks about post-COVID recovery, building back better, etc. But let's hope for the best that that will happen because it needs to happen. We need to go through and to transformational change in many aspects. And so will we go back to traveling like crazy all over the world, polluting our countries and the rest of the world? Will we go back to irresponsible production levels and consumption levels? Is Will growth in uh, GDP growth remain the only, only benchmark for success? And, and so all these types of issues, right? And then hope. Well, humans are super creative, super capable, super talented to come up with solutions. And I really, really, really hope that that type, that side of humankind will prevail. I agree. And I think sometimes it's maybe easy to, to watch the news, which oftentimes the news is focused on selling media and to maybe get a little bit discouraged. But as much as humans have had a negative impact on the world that we live in, I do believe in the human race. I believe in the positivity within each and every one of us. And you know, especially someone like yourself that just radiates positive vibes and hope and energy that, you know, with using the SDGs as a framework and looking at all of them, particularly SDGs 16 and 17, there's a lot of ways where we can rethink our frameworks of how stuff is done on a daily basis to, to create a world where we don't leave anyone behind. And I know that that's a grandiose statement, but I believe that. And I know you believe that. And, and I'm excited to, to spend the rest of my day accomplishing that and the rest of my life working towards that. And, and would love to continue to find all the ways to stay in touch and collaborate with you and, and all things leadership for SDGs. Thanks so much. And, you know, if, if we don't believe in that, what you just mentioned, namely the human race, and the positive future, then it doesn't make sense, you know. And it, I have two kids. And if I would give up, if I wouldn't believe, what, what would the future for them be? I mean, it's, it's unacceptable. So there's nothing but positive vibes that you can radiate and, and, and a huge drive to contribute, to try to contribute to positive change. Couldn't agree more. And I guess final plug, what if people want to get in touch with you or your organization, what's the best way to do that? 
Well, they can find my details on my LinkedIn profile. I think my phone number is there. They can uh, they can send me and uh, drop me an email by uh, Simone Filippini at leadershipforsdgs.org. And my so and, and and my phone number is there. I'm open to anybody, and I believe in cooperation. And I also believe that there are many people who can contribute to what I want. It's I the, it. the the power of the crowd, the wisdom of the crowd that I'm looking for, and that is out there. I'm sure. And with that final mic drop, thank you so much, Simone, and uh, I look forward to staying in touch. Thank you so much, and um, and hope to uh, yeah, hope to stay in touch. Really, thanks so much, and you're doing great work. Thanks. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the SDG Talks podcast. Make sure to check out all the show notes for relevant links from this show. Please share and follow SDG Talks on social media and stay tuned for updates from the Unleash in United Nations community. The goal of the SDG Talks is to bring you good content. So if you want to learn about something specific or have suggestions, please let us know. We look forward to seeing you next time on SDG Talks.